0: Hello everyone, welcome back to Morgan Hasn't Seen, or perhaps this is your very first time tuning in to Morgan Hasn't Seen, as not only is it the start of a new series, but it's the start of a whole season on It's a Wonderful Podcast, covering both shows, both this and the main show. It's vampire season, Janine, we're in October, it's finally here. Yes, okay, we talked about a vampire movie two weeks ago on this very show, (laughs) in our decades of horror, but that wasn't officially part of vampire season. We're actually in it now. All October long, vampires are taking over, both Morgan hasn't seen, and it's a wonderful podcast, the main show. And Janine, we're starting today with... A pretty notable Stephen King adaptation that I haven't seen. Now, these vampire movies will be pretty big as well in this series of Morgan Hasn't Seen. I'm not as well versed on vampire movies as I perhaps thought I was. And I perhaps pretend to be as well sometimes. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. Do I cheat the system? Possibly. Maybe. No, never, never, <laughs> never do I teach the system to me. What am I? What am I saying? What am I? Um, what am I telling people publicly? I shouldn't be saying this. No, it was just a lie and a joke. But I'm very excited to begin this series to begin this season today, talking 1979's Salem's yeah. Lot, because yeah. not only is it exciting to have a Stephen King adaptation also someone who movie wise i am pretty well watched on but have never read a single stephen king book Mm -hmm. um you know despite having watched a good many of his movie adaptations or adaptations you know of his books um but not this one this is also a unique situation Given the fact that this isn't even a theatrical movie, this is a TV two-parter, mini,
1: yeah, mini series almost, yeah. That I didn't even realize
0: it was before I decided, let's do it for this show.
1: Yes, I mean this is a Janine hasn't seen as well, so you definitely had a lot more say in in a couple of the picks on this list because. You know, typically I curate these series because these are movies I've seen and you haven't. And there are a few rare cases where it's a movie I haven't seen. But here we have two films in this series that I haven't seen. So when talking about the movies to cover for this series, I was definitely pointing at two for sure to cover ones that I was very familiar with. Um, and, And then in kind of looking at suggestions and things that you hadn't seen... Two of them came up that I also hadn't seen, and this was one of them. So I also was not aware that this was a TV miniseries. Um, uh, but because I've I've always known the name, I've always known, you know, this is Stephen King's vampire adaptation. So I that's kind of all I knew of this. Yeah. Um and then even reading the synopsis, it sounds very typical, you know, a, a author and his fan stop a kind of vampire siege happening on a small main town yes very much all the stephen king so i was like okay great cool story interesting all the vibes of stephen king and then three hours (laughs) um only to to learn that yes it is a two-part tv miniseries and not a theatrically released movie so i don't know that we've done very much of that here on the channel so you know it's a first time for everything
0: (laughs) no but yeah as far as i'm concerned you can buy it As uh, a a movie Blu-ray that's all cut together as one thing. So yeah, I
1: I rented it. it. Yeah, I rented it on Amazon Prime and it played all like a a one full movie. Yeah, a
0: long three-hour movie. So, so it, it has clearly been. It may have originally aired in two parts, but has clearly been thought of, played, and released subsequently as just one full piece of media so enough technicalities aside salem's lot is our opening movie in vampire season and i think it's a wonderful way to open this uh season janine like we say it's stephen king which i don't think stephen king's ever shown up on morgan hasn't seen before um he obviously hasn't shown up on the main show because his movie adaptations are not old enough. So it's exciting yeah. to be talking about him in the realm of horror and all his typical, um, se- his typical setting, his typical tone, his typical ideas. They are all at play, I think, in Salem's Lot. But rather interestingly, and I I suppose when you realise this, you understand why this was a TV, you know, release rather than a a theatrical release, was because 1979 is weirdly a pretty populated year for decently received vampire media. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, You have this, you also have... Uh, Nosferatu, the Vampire, Werner Herzog with Klaus Kinski, the kind of Nosferatu remake. Mm-hmm. You have Frank Langella's Dracula as well, all in 1979. Mm-hmm. So perhaps three major vampire movies was a little too much for one year theatrically. So I think Toby Hooper and and everybody involved in making this movie, I think produced by Sterling Siliphant, um, clearly decided to TV was the better way to go, to not overpopulate theatres and cinemas with too much vampire and it maybe get lost in the midst of that it also, TV, gives them a chance to flesh out more stuff the ability to make it longer because the book's Reasonably lengthy, and since watching this uh, series, I've gone out and bought the book as well. I oh. st- need to. St- I, w- I will stop calling it a series. I will call it a movie. Since watching this movie, I've gone out and bought the book as well. It's not a short book, Salem's Lot. So there's clearly, you know, being it being in this format and it being yeah. the length it is clearly benefits it being a. Fuller and truer vision of Stephen King's actual work, which we know yeah it you know hasn't always been the case with Stephen King adaptations. there have been some that are very faithful have been some that are not faithful at all um so it's nice to see that you know at least the intention was there for the most part to understand and to fully grasp all the little nuances, all the little details, um, as much as they can, because I I believe things were still cut out. And I certainly believe one very notable thing about this movie uh, was changed for the movie, or notable thing about this story was changed for the movie, that it it was completely different in the book. But I'm led to believe Stephen King is very happy, was very happy, and remains very happy with this adaptation of Salem's okay. Lot, Okay. Which is a good thing. Well,
1: that's always good. Yeah. I
0: yeah. think is a good thing. Well, let's, I mean, let's just get straight on into yeah. this. Because because this was one you hadn't seen either, I will just say, yes, the length of the movie is just over three hours you can you you would be forgiven for viewing it as a kind of uh, a slow slog but it, i think i don't really think it is i don't think it is at yeah, all i, I mean a wonderfully uh, paced movie it's a slowly paced movie a very very steady movie Some would say deliberately paced as a phrase of a movie but it's, it's a really clever, subtle build and build and crescendo upwards.
1: Yeah, I mean, I...
0: Full vampire.
1: I caught myself kind of looking at the time and thinking like, wow, I still have like a whole two hours left. Oh my gosh, I still only an hour and a half left. And it wasn't from like feeling the time. It was, aside I think from one plot point, I was like, Wow, there's still a lot to go, but yet I'm I still feel like I'm getting information and and plot that I need. So, yeah. aside from kind of one affair storyline that's in this movie, um I felt like everything I was getting was warranted and needed and helped drive the plot to this kind of big climactic finale. Um so I I think they used the time well and it was well paced and I don't think there was too much unnecessary additions in there that, um, you know, drug it down or made it a slog to kind of get through.
0: No, not at all. And I think, you know, you could look at the time of it um, and and, you know, keep an eye on the time from, you know, the sense of what you were saying, but also... I felt like there was such a I mean this movie speaks a lot about a particular house being inherently evil that's the nature of this movie yeah. right so our protagonist he's an he's a writer um pretty typical for Stephen King he you know this a, was
1: a, his hometown he grew up here so he's returning to the town to write this book
0: yeah yes so he he returns um, and he is kind of, he has this obsession with this particular derelict house that has, has always said, you know, there's, there's strange things going on at this house. There was old murders that happened at this house. It's supposedly a little bit haunted. We as kids used to, you know, say it was haunted and used to go on dares there and, and all these kind, you know, all this kind of thing. Is going on. So he is driven by the idea that this house has an inherent evil to it. And it is that nature of something being inherently evil and, you know, fear itself being just inherent that I think is evident in multiple. Stephen King works i think it as well it's obviously very prevalent in um yeah. it is entirely about fear being constant and, and just inherent and the embodiment of fear itself that never yeah. leaves you you can't ever get rid of it and it comes in any form it wants to yeah and um, but you know there's nothing that brings it on there's you know it it is there at the beginning and it is there at the end
1: yes well I mean he even uh, thinks that he's somewhat responsible because he returns to town to kind of get inspiration for this book he's writing um about this house and this creepy vibe that it has and, and and you know the fear that it invokes and it evoked in him as a child um and uh, upon his return, he learns that this house has been purchased and that there's weird things going on in the town. So he almost feels like his return as a believer of these kind of creepy things and, and a believer of, you know, the entity of this house, that he somehow brought this about with his return and connects it directly to, you know, his own doing.
0: Yeah, So um, he does. But it, it's that. That idea that is, I think, weaved so well into this movie that is clearly, you know, an idea from Stephen King's story itself, because it's an idea that Stephen King uses multiple times. But it's weaved really well into this movie that I was sat there watching it as a three hour piece going, oh God, is it nearly over? Not from a want of it being over, but from a want of just to get out of this mindset that it was genuinely giving me of just being really uncomfortable and on edge all the time. Yeah. Just with what's going on? It was, it, it really got honestly under my skin. I wasn't expecting this from it. And I wasn't expecting this from maybe the first 20 minutes. Of this movie, but I found it as it just kept building, and perhaps it's got something to do with the fact that it is such a slow burn that its its pace, you know, never actually picks up. Like it's it's very very constant. Like it, yeah. it sets its pace and just keeps on kind that keeps exact on it. Track. Yeah, that it just it it, it slowly really gets under you and starts to, you know, you start to get creeped out a little bit more and a little bit more. And, okay, visually, there's, you know, nothing overly startling in the movie, even when the vampires become more vampiric and they show up properly and are fully out there. You know, visually, I think the vampires look great, but it's it's not like... Scary, startling kind yeah, of Yeah, I mean,
1: it, it's not a jump scare type of thing, it's more of a like a hypnotic kind of flow. It when you is see the vampires. Yeah.
0: It is, but oh my god, did I actually feel that from the making of the movie itself? Like I was so impressed by that. It was something that I really didn't expect to happen, and was just so in love with the fact that you know, after having watched it, having sat on it a little bit. Now, the fact it was able to really get so under my skin and me trying to come to terms with understanding why that may have happened in all the different things that are going on in this movie yeah. just makes me so impressed by it. Maybe yeah. it's a Toby Hooper thing as well. Maybe. Because as we all know, Toby Hooper was Texas Chainsaw Massacre, a movie that, again, just makes you feel uncomfortable and nasty on the inside because of all the visuals that's going on and all the sound and all everything about Texas Chainsaw Massacre makes you feel dirty and grimy and horrible and you need a shower afterwards. Yeah. Now, this is a totally different movie in aesthetic, a totally different movie in kind of, in character, in pace. I mean, Texas Chainsaw is a, is a quick pace movie. It's an 80 minute movie. And this is yeah. a,
1: a, three a slow hour. build, charming little homey town kind of. Yeah.
0: But that same kind of visceral filmmaking is there. And I love that. I love that so much because it makes it so much more effective when you allow yourself to just get completely zoned into a movie while it being a vampire movie as well so that hypnotic element takes you know on another front vampires hypnosis the, hypno- the hit, they you know they kind of take over people's minds a little bit in this movie as well cause them to have yeah strange dreams and wake up floating at their windows now that's admittedly very creepy all the floating at the window business that you get.
1: yes yeah
0: <laughs> it is um but it's it really did have that effect on me and i loved it for that just just to yes. start
1: <laughs> and i'm generally a fan of the horror film where Our protagonist feels incredibly isolated in the fact that they're the only ones who believe kind of what is happening, that they're the only ones who who are aware and and awake and, and, you know, trying to do something and trying to be proactive and everyone else is determined to just write them off as crazy. And even to the point where our protagonist maybe is questioning their own sanity, um, I think that type of story set up with your protagonist really gets you invested. It really gets you to care about them because you are seeing everything that they're seeing. So you immediately can believe them and know that they're not going crazy and and can be their only unspoken ally (laughs) throughout the movie. Um, So I think when a story kind of works like that, it, it definitely gets you more invested. So I'm with this author who's The only one really kind of knowing what's going on or questioning anything while everyone else is perfectly fine being oblivious and and, you know, dealing with their own kind of mundane lives and not really picking up on the fact that all these people are, you know, getting sick of anemia, you know, blood loss and all these kinds of things. And he is fully quick to pick up on it. Um, so, so I love a character like that who is, is so isolated in his belief that we c- can only be the o- the one person on the other side of the screen, like having his back. Because <laughs> you get really into the story, you get really invested in the story and this character and, and what's happening around him, and and hoping that he can get through to somebody. Um, so
0: yeah. yeah, it actually reminded me quite a bit of uh, Midnight Mass the Netflix yeah. miniseries, Mike Flanagan did, mm-hmm. that ultimately ends up being a vampire story itself,
1: but yeah. is
0: an isolated small-town community. You know, somebody that returns there after a while and is, is treated as an outsider by the population yeah. of the town. Um, and, you know, that story ultimately ends up becoming a, a, a vampire tale as well. Um, much more focused on the religion than than this movie is. This movie is very much more focused on the invasion of a small town, which is this yeah. typical. Again, it's a it's a Stephen King thing that happens somewhat frequently, but the nature of the quiet, all American town being slowly invaded by something evil. And them having that very small-town mentality of being wary of strangers, wary of new faces. Who are these people? Yeah. Even, you know, Ben Mears, our protagonist, played by David Soul of Starsky and Hutch. Um, even <laughs> he's treated as an outsider by some people of this town. because well, this he... is his hometown. Even though it's his hometown, because he hasn't stayed there, and they are yeah. certainly wary of James Mason, who is uh, Mr. Straker, eh? an yeah. antique dealer that has recently come, into, come into, town, into
1: town. Yeah,
0: purchased the old haunted Marston House on the on the outskirts of town. I mean, it's so typical, isn't it? As well, of course, it's on the outskirts of town. Yeah, so it was, <laughs> Those zones that you call them liminal zones, in in kind of horror movie theory, that the, uh, act on the edge of civilization. Like there's yeah. there's wilderness, there's civilization, and then there's the zone right on the edge that all the horror takes place in because it's neither one nor the other. Yeah, it's right on the edge of being real, so it's it's slowly just pushing in. Pushing into civilization, pushing into the people. No, it belongs out in the wild wilderness where it's not going to affect anybody and harm anybody. No, it's pushing in. And and this is what happens with the vampirism and the vampiric takeover of of, of several characters, it must be said, in the town of Salem's Lot, which is a strange name for a town as well, I must say. I mean, it's... I'm led to believe short for Jerusalem's Lot, which is an even stranger name for a town. Um, yeah. I, I don't really understand why it's called Salem's Lot. That's beside the point completely. I just think it's I mean, a weird it just sounds name just a creepy.
1: Yeah, it just sounds creepy. Um
0: you
1: throw Salem in
0: there and it, it automatically becomes <laughs> creepy. Is that, the, is that the rule?
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. Um. Uh, that's what i believe anyway like it definitely invokes those vibes of you know salem and witches and mystical things and lot rhymes with plot and you're thinking of a cemetery now and (laughs) i don't know for me it's just like all these mental cues of words that kind of ding and, and make me think of certain things so um yeah but I agree with you in terms of kind of the build and the pace that it takes. Like it doesn't uh, rush to things. Um, it's this slow build. You're getting to know the town. You're getting to know the people. And then these kinds of creepy things start to happen. Um, but there's still this this kind of small town thought process of, oh, no, that's nothing. Oh, no. You know, this couldn't be anything serious and then just again the small town mentality of very much like you said ostracizing this guy who knows the town he knows people there he's asking questions and very much you know being being left to feel like an outsider like he doesn't belong like and just showing kind of how much the town has changed like since he even left um Uh, And in comparison to also the Straker guy who arrives as well, Um, you know, there's these subtle questionings of him, but they don't think too deep into it, even in seeing kind of just how creepy this guy just gives off these vibes and they still are kind of oblivious to to really having the thought to delve into him or ask about him or, um, you know
0: yeah i mean when they do what he's
1: doing there you
0: know when they do they obviously they question him about his business partner as well who we don't see obviously for for a yeah. long time in this movie but their antiques dealership is is called barlow and straker or straight straker and barlow and oh he's mr barlow uh coming anytime soon when will he be around oh he'll be here soon um you'll meet him soon don't worry about that oh oh he's had to go on a trip there's always these kind of there's this constant kind of where's yeah, mr barlow, off, where's mr. Off, barlow? Yeah. um we're not quite sure who mr barlow is yes okay having some knowledge of salem's lot before watching this I know that Mister Barlow is ultimately the vamp, the blue-looking vampire that turns <laughs> yeah, that up we and see. Lock. I know that, yeah. but you know you've got to treat it. Uh, you got to treat it for what it is in term, In you've got to think that you don't know anything about it. So it, it works really well, just to get you asking questions, just to get you really thinking about these subtle, slightly strange things that continue to happen. People start going missing. Someone's dog goes missing and ends up dead in the graveyard. Yeah. It's very small things. That just becomes slightly more serious, slightly more serious, and slightly more frequent. Yes,
1: some kids go missing. And this, these guys are moving this big crate of something, and it's giving them bad vibes. It, it scares them. They cold, roll, it's like, freezing, they yes, say. yeah. So just all these little builds of things that they're just kind of oblivious to, and the only one really asking questions or looking into it or even um, having any kind of inkling um, is our author character.
0: Yeah, and and he, yes, like you said, is kind of pretty much on his own. I mean, yes, he has his his girl who he pretty quickly meets as he comes back into yeah. town. Uh, she happens
1: him. to be like reading his books and so.
0: <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> that I mean that as as far as a a romance plot goes, happens pretty quickly. But we'll forgive it for that. We're used yeah. to that kind of thing, um, and. Really, I think it's, it's necessary to give him a little bit of a a reason to stay around, I guess, and a reason yeah, to yeah. feel something um, in this town, uh, you know, uh, the ability to get almost a group of people, a small group of people who are actually kind of fully with him. Um, and I think it it does such a good job as well of really detailingly fleshing out side characters. I mean, I can understand why, you know, the the book, looking at the book as I am doing right now, is as as bulky as it is. I mean it's it's not yeah. it level bulky. As far as Stephen no. King is concerned, but but you do have quite a few is...
1: characters to kind of delve into.
0: Yeah, there is necessary secondary plots going on in this movie because those secondary plots add to the well, add to the natural feeling of of the town you're in, making what happens to it doubly, triply more effective, and. All the relationships between all these secondary characters within the movie speak to different elements of what this town goes through, whether it's children going missing, whether it's kind of ex partners going missing, whether it's the one guy who's in love with Susan and hates Ben ends up. Yeah you know ends up dead so we have a little bit of a different situation with him there's you briefly mentioned it before Fred Willard is in this having an affair with his (laughs) secretary at this real estate office now unfortunately I don't think that story is fleshed out as much yeah so that was kind of the
1: story plot point that I was that what I was mentioning because it kind of you know fred willard ultimately gets killed by a vampire and then the couple ends up kind of just disappearing from the movie after that so you know that that plot point doesn't really play into kind of the the full
0: story so no but it 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 just it gives the town life doesn't it it gives the town a real a real feeling It feels like a real place, and it's obviously a fictional town. You know, Stephen King creates these fictional main
1: towns. (laughs) Yeah,
0: um, Derry, Salem's Lot. I'm sure there's another one that I'm now forgetting. Um, but you need that, and you need these characters. I mean, Alicia Cook Jr. is in this, yes, who's our icon, finally. I've found someone who is a weasel called Weasel. <laughs> Finally, in a movie, I'm sure he's called yeah. Weasel. He is, um, who actually does look like a weasel, who's basically just some smelly, grotty guy.
1: People kind of just put up with as like the local, like guy on the street, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the local kind of kook.
0: But yeah. he's also like the ex-husband of the woman who ben is renting a room off yes and everybody is everybody is related not 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 in that way but everybody's related to everybody else everybody's connected to everybody else and it just it makes the town feel so alive it makes everything that happens to it feel doubly more effective And I feel that all those little secondary plots, all those little secondary relationships, aside from just what's happening with Ben and ultimately investigating all the strange disappearances and strange deaths and the unusual dreams people are having and the random heart attacks that people are having out of nowhere, it makes everything just work better than if it was just all about Ben's investigation.
1: Yes. And I think that also plays into Ben's isolation. It really, you know, because they're so connected and, you know, all the people in the town, it very much plays up the us against him, us versus him type dynamic that happens and his presence and him asking questions just puts him on more of a radar than Straker who is not is kind of trying to fly under the radar. Um, he seems kind of creepy and weird and opening this business. But because he's kind of keeping to himself, no one's really looking at him, but because Ben is out here asking all these questions and 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 trying to get people to think about certain things and like, don't you wonder why this and this and this happened and kind of questioning there every day. He is the one who's pinpointed as the weird one and the other and the why are you here type person. When yeah. the more seemingly obvious one who is kind of creepy and, and mysterious and secretive is the one that's kind of able to to fly under the radar and really execute his yeah. his master's plans. Because Ben is just out here kind of really putting a, a lot out there.
0: <laughs> yeah. And Strake is obviously actually, you know, the actual stranger to the town as well. So if you are, you know, holding true to your agenda, Salem's Lot, and we're a small town who doesn't like strangers, why are you actually ultimately going after Ben when it's Straker? And yes, okay, James Mason's having the time of his life playing this role, I think. You can see the glisten (laughs) in his eye. Yeah. Or I could, at least. I mean, he's there just quietly going about his business. I'm going to try Opening and Opening
1: boxes. And,
0: yeah. <laughs> he's got such a, a great voice, James Mason. I love James Mason voice. He, yes, okay, he sounds like he's drunk when he's not even drunk, but <laughs> it's just because he, he has this sort of slur to his yeah. words, to his speech, that is so captivating to listen to. And I really do feel like he has just a twinkle in his performance in this movie. Yeah. Um, he seems to just relish playing very subtly evil. Um, like, more so, he. he I, I was almost more impressed by him, and I like James Mason as an actor anyway, but I was almost more impressed by him when he wasn't being you know, outwardly evil, you know, then later on in the movie when he is being outwardly evil and it's kind of all revealed that he is Barlow's essential, you know, almost familiar. He's almost yeah. Barlow's familiar, isn't he? Yeah. Um, that he becomes more outwardly evil, more threatening, more obviously willing to getting people's way into to kill people for his master's use. I prefer him when he's just trying to be a normal antique stealer, because there is still a tiny little part of him that's being weird, that's being unusual, yeah. that's almost calling out his own strangeness and his own quirks. Just to make yeah. just to put people at ease. To, he tries and puts the police chief at ease, doesn't he? By saying, Oh yes, why wouldn't you suspect me? I'm I'm a stranger, of course I am. I'm quite odd as well. Of course yes. I am.
1: Playing just into, like, Let's into just put him at their ease. simplest Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Because just playing really, into their
1: simple way of thinking. Yeah.
0: Yes. Really, there's a reason I've bought this old strange derelict house and had this mysterious crate that was freezing cold transported over yes. I wonder what was in that crate. You know?
1: I have this partner that nobody has seen or heard from and you know their name is in this business, but uh, you know, you'll meet them in due time. All meanwhile, all these strange things are happening, children going missing and people dying and, you know, of anemia and blood loss and, you know, all these kind of blood related things. And like you said, people having nightmares and um and because the 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 movie takes its time to really slowly build these things up, you see just how long it takes these people to even question it, uh, because they're so used to the simplicity of their day to day and their lives and the interconnectivity of everybody that you know they're not really uh, that thoughtful in terms of looking at really what's happening around them because you know they're just used to their bubble of of life no um so i I I just love kind of the slow build of of all the kind of darker things that start to happen kind of really seeping into infecting the whole town but very slowly
0: i mean rather annoyingly as well our kind of central child or central younger person in the movie mark petrie is such a lover of horror movies, a, a lover of kind of old creepy things and uh, magic and escapology. Yes, and uh, a, a fan of design, of the of posters, of Ben, and a fan of Ben's as well. Yeah, yeah, as a, as a writer. Um, but his family want to shun his interests in horror movies. And yeah. when are you going to grow out of all this? Like, why? Why should he have to grow out of all this? I'll exactly. I'll tell you what. Petrie's uh, mum and dad Petrie I'll tell you what, if he hadn't had, if he hadn't have had the interest in horror movies that he had would he have been successful in actually uh, dispelling the vampires at the end of the movie? No he wouldn't, he would have died like the rest of them so let him have his fondness for horror movies stop trying to be all Oh, we must be normal. We must keep up appearances. There's only three people no. who live in this town. No, let people be weird if they want to yes. be. Yes, inspire let them be out. Don't their let them be...
1: creativity. Yes, yeah. So that's why you know I, I like this kind of allyship that happens between him and Ben, and and you know someone who kind of understands him, someone he looks up to. So this team up makes sense, and you're excited for Ben to kind of have an ally in all of this, and someone who kind of you know. Is picking up on the things that he is, um, and ultimately they kind of will work together. Ultimately, so, um, yeah, you're excited for our protagonist the movie as
0: well. yes,
1: because we do kind of open this movie at the end, um, seeing. Um, The two of them kind of traveling the world trying to escape these vampires. And then, you know, it opens with, oh my gosh, they found us. And then we get into our opening credits. So definitely really interesting setup to just see how, you know, they look dirty, like they've been on the run, they're in another country. Um, so just this kind of haggard,
0: around, yeah.
1: Yes. So like they've just look haggard and um and so to kind of see where they end up and then rewind back to how we got here. Um, it, it's really putting you in the mindset of okay, I'm really curious to set up what could possibly happen in this three hours time that's going to get these two to this like very different place that is completely not this sweet simple main town
0: yeah i mean you know who does embody sweet simple main town the most though in this movie it's uh it's jason burke the like i feel like he's the old old teacher at the school he's played by lou
1: yeah Yes. Yeah. He, so he's, he's the one so person awesome. that Ben can talk to. He taught Ben and inspired him to write, um, and is doing the same, the similar thing for this young man who who, who befriends Ben. So, yeah, mm. I like the conversation they have uh, about you know inspiration and um, and so and again, it's a moment where we actually do see Ben getting an ally. Um, so we do. Appreciate yeah, that's that. what I mean. He
0: kind of has. He has a small group. Jason Burke's one of them. Susan's one of them. Yeah. Um. Mark Petrie's one of them. And then, like Susan's dad, the doctor is also kind of on his side as well. Um. He's a re- he's a you know a reasonable man. Although yeah. there are conversations that come up later on in the movie yeah. that act along the lines of you know. Uh, it's almost I don't believe in vampires, but I believe what I saw and that kind yeah. of stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Um, which kind of comes up because he's a man of science. He's a medical man. Like not yes, yes. vampires. Logical don't thinker.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And you know, the police chief as well. He ends up running off with his family because he's just yes. a coward. simpleton. Yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah, very annoying and And that frustration,
1: you know, you're just going to abandon the town. Like, what are you doing? Like you were the law here. Like what is going on? Just when this whole town is going to be taken over and you're running. uh, Especially when he was saying
0: things earlier on about I'm never off duty. I'm always on duty. This town needs me. This town needs you when nothing's happening, doesn't it? Chief Constable, as James Mason calls (laughs) it. Yeah. But no, yeah, no, it doesn't. It, 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 you you just run off and drive away and forget anything ever happened when something actually starts happening. Yeah. 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 Wimp. Wimp. Yeah, a great word, it's isn't terrible.
1: it? Coward. Yes. <laughs>
0: Cowardly man. Yeah. Oh dear. But no, it's uh, there Look, there is such a wonderfully brooding kind of atmosphere to Salem's lot, especially in these uh, dreamish sequences where the children, mainly, the the kind of children that go missing, they, or one ends up dying as well, actually. I think the first kid goes missing and then he... Well, we
1: see him in Straker's possession.
0: Yes, yes. He floats up to his brother's uh, bedroom window. Yeah, and has the eyes, has the like the white, yellow, beaming light eyes, Mm -hmm. and is just really floating there, surrounded by kind of smoke and and fog.
1: Yeah,
0: it's so creepy. Not a word he said. Yeah, he just floats in. You get that hypnosis that his brother just kind of wakes up slowly from his bed, turns on. covers himself from his bed and just walks slowly towards the window and there's a bite that happens yeah that's kind of that that's that that's how that scene plays out but it's such uh kind of eyes glued to the screen ridiculously creepy yeah
1: hypnotic yeah and then it happens again you know he now has been sucked of blood and he's in the hospital and the same thing kind of happens again with his brother coming to him in the window and he gets out of bed and his iv falls and breaks and he just continues in this very hypnotic state and you know ultimately then this is where he dies um and and then then he does
0: it to mark
1: yes so then um he mark is digging the graves and he is burying this boy and he just has this hypnotic urge to jump in there and open the coffin so before he oh covers, yeah the, no this hurt. is the
0: gravedigger i was i was talking about the fact that um yeah who is his name oh his name's mike is his name mike, mike. okay <laughs> yeah sorry that's my pronunciation going haywire um <laughs> i was saying that the the brother danny i think his name is uh the the kid who does
1: oh yeah no mark Mark is the kid the the kid who is is like magic and who who works with ben uh mike is yeah is the grave digger so as you know they have the whole funeral and then yes um uh mike is digging is is digging the grave burying the body but then he has this hypnotic urge to just jump in there and open the coffin as he opens it he sees the boy lying there and then of course he opens his eyes the the bright you know white eyes the fangs and then he is ultimately bitten um and so then we kind of slowly start seeing the spread so all of these things that have we've been hearing and and have been kind of whispered about and we don't really see um and so this is kind of our first with these boys and now with, with um, the gravedigger. Now we're seeing, we're seeing it. We're seeing this kind of um, invasion happening. Um, yeah. You know, we got little tastes and hints of it. Like I loved the whole thing. Like that was the only thing I really kind of loved about the whole uh, affair storyline, Fred Willard having an affair with, you know, one of his office workers. They're the ones who like, I think, you know, real estate company. And um <clears throat> uh, she gets caught with by her husband having this affair with Fred Willard and he busts in the house, he catches them, he uh, kicks Fred Willard out and as Fred Willard is running out in his underwear, we see this creepy hand reach out from the shadows and mm. grab him. Um, so that was kind of like our first little bit, but now we're actually seeing the, the people who have been turned, now turning everyone else, a mother the mother, I think, of one of the boys, she ends up dying of of yeah. a bite and and ultimately comes back. Um, and so this is when now we're starting to see this whole kind of uh, invasion happening. You know, it's reminding me of things like the faculty where, you know, yeah. it's a small town and only a handful of people are even kind of aware or believing that it's happening. And then one by one, you start to see these people you know acting differently or getting sick and and going through this change and it builds and builds and builds until you know there's no denying it to where now your police chief is running out of town um so so yes the build of kind of seeing the the vampirism grow and invade i like this kind of invasion feeling uh, of this of this movie for sure
0: yeah it's it's so great but it is that scene um that kind, the the final, I think, the, the, the final of three kind of window scenes, if you were to call them that, when um, it, this is after Danny, the boy who died, has turned Mike the gravedigger, and he has now risen from the grave. He goes yeah. to Mark, the kid, the horror movie kid, but Mark is able to repel him. Yeah, he gets, he gets crucifix out. And he, he's able to repel him now. These were best friends at school as well. Yeah, this was established yeah. earlier on, so that you know it, it's a real key moment. I think that I mean, yes, okay, Mark may look like the most 70s child ever with stupid, floppy blonde hair and ridiculous <laughs> clothes, and also Ben does. Look similarly like the most yeah, ridiculous 70s. 70s man. Denim ever. on
1: denim outfits, yeah. The, the, <laughs> the,
0: the time he turned up to Susan's parents' house. This is his new his new girlfriend, his new yeah. squeeze, who he wants to impress the parents Press, of. Yeah. and he turns up wearing a denim shirt and a pair of jeans that are the exact same colour as each other.
1: Yeah. Oh, oh, dear. Matching set.
0: Now, there's many aesthetic, many fashion choices in the 1970s that I particularly love. The are not on show in Salem's Lot. Perhaps this is a late 70s thing and I'm more of an early 70s vibe. I don't yeah. know. Perhaps that's where I'm standing here. The elbow patches on the blazers Ooh, that he's wearing. Yeah. These massive collars on shirts.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> the jeans are also really high as well. And yes, okay, I don't mind that, but they're very tight. Um Yeah,
1: I think the only the only aesthetic that you can kind of dig from this time is the turtleneck, the turtleneck and blazer combination.
0: But nobody's wearing a turtleneck in this movie, which seems ridiculous. Maine. Like you're in Maine.
1: Thinking, yeah, seaside. Not be
0: wearing in Maine. I thought Maine yes, was turtleneck. It's like Scotland and Maine. And I thought that was where turtlenecks existed.
1: Yeah. Well, apparently not here. It's all about the denim on denim on denim on denim looks. It's <laughs> but it's yes, generally with this it's film... Hard. Um yes so as this film builds and this invasion continues we do get to um you know our our girlfriend character now you know she she has it's not that she has disbelieved ben it's just she hasn't really kind of seen it um or understood it and then she goes to visit some people who you know have been acting strange or feeling sick and she hears the description of their dreams and things like that and that kind of gets her really in in the same state of mind as Ben to really investigate and wonder what's going on um so she does make her way up to the creepy house (laughs) and you know so then we're actually in there and we see um this setting of just you know dark and derelict and you know dilapidated place and we do feel this kind of eerie spirit that the house has as
0: she kind of walks through now do you not think because i did as as much as i really really enjoyed the the pacing of this movie as we've mentioned barlow does appear out of nowhere in the movie yeah like why does he just turn up in the kitchen
1: just of all of a sudden in house. full
0: glory, Stop. yeah. He's just there in full, like that's not what. And where Straker just standing Europa. in the doorway,
1: don't I, fight him or he will snap your neck. Like, just like, just like being his little cheerleader master. in the corner. You,
0: you can't beat the master, <laughs> don't. Yeah. Don't upset the master. That's what yeah, James Mason is just... trying to say.
1: Yeah, so he's literally at the corner just being a cheerleader for the master. Well,
0: um, why so they're both he... in this house to begin with? I don't know. They just exactly they just appear in this house.
1: Exactly. So the setup to this reveal, like, I think it would have been cool if you know we do see this creepy arm. You know, we think Fred Willard has gotten out of this situation where the yeah. scorned husband has a gun in his face. He's running out in his underwear, and then we see this creepy. Be hand from the shadow grab him and pull him away so i think it would have been cool to have that we find his body and then the next day we're meeting this handsome gentleman or whatever you know making this big introduction to town and you know people being kind of more impressed with him than than scared of him and uh then him in in conjunction with straker you know start running their shop and then you know that just gives Ben more questions but the fact that like we see this arm reach out we start to gradually see people turning and then all of a sudden he just pops up in this kitchen and Straker's just like there yeah like go cool, boss yeah <laughs> like in the corner <laughs> it's just it it, it 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 it's the one kind of moment where you know that's an old reveal. is it's kind of broken yes yeah, so this is kind of your big buildup and you know this is how we're getting it you know just kind of all of a sudden, out of nowhere, no true kind of context, no kind of reasoning for why he's just popping up in this particular kitchen and then Straker kind of giving himself away in the corner. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah now, it's not as, as as a smooth flow as everything else, I think.
0: No, it isn't. And don't get me wrong, I think it's a, a really good climax to the movie. I just think that reveal is, isn't the best. And... Yeah. That is the significant difference that I'm led to believe, you know, was made from the book Salem's Lot. Because in the book, Barlow is a, a, a human, you know, essentially. He's a human yeah. figure. He's not a human. Obviously, he's a vampire. But he's uh, he, he speaks, he looks human, he acts normal. He's basically what Straker is. But the actual vampire. Now in the movie, he's a blue Nosferatu creature. Yeah. Who just does nothing but hiss and kind of spit and make noises and doesn't you know, he's just a demonic figure. He's not yeah. remotely human looking. Um even though I think he looks great i think this is what vampires should look like i love this vampires should look like barlow from salem's lot or dracula yes
1: Um, like i think the main one who is like the ancient one who is kind of doing all the transforming and all of that um should definitely have yeah should definitely have this very creepy look and then the the, the humans that he does change still have the human appearance with the fangs and the eyes yeah. without kind of too much going on changing which they the, do the don't look they? their face yes which I, is one of my favorite shots i think in the movie or if not my favorite shot um is it reminded me of the the picture of dorian gray movie that we talked about on the main show that great ooh, shot ooh. of kind of the light swinging and that giving us kind of the flashes yes. of our villain. Um, it's Mark and he sat against the wall as um, Ben is fighting the, the, um, the Barlow as this uh, is as later our, on. This our, is our, yes. As our vampire, they've, they've come to the house. Um, Mark was there. He got captured um, and then the girlfriend character comes and, and she gets captured now. Um, and then Ben goes to the house and so they're kind of fighting our, our, our vampire and Mark is kind of against a wall watching all of this happen and then the light got hit and it's swinging and as the light swings we see the doorway behind Mark with a bunch of you know, turned vampires crawling towards Mark without him even noticing and we only see it kind of when the light swings towards that doorway it's such a great kind of eerie shot and it reminded me of that Dorian Gray movie with the light swinging and that's how we kind of get these flashing looks happening Um,
0: Uh, I'm very glad you brought that up, yeah. I'm very glad you brought that up. It's one of definitely one of my favorite shots in the entire yeah. movie. If there's one thing I will just say is that I just wish there was more Barlow. Yeah, because I, he, comes really, so I,
1: suddenly... he comes in so late and
0: suddenly comes in late, then he should come in, he should come in late because that's how the movie and that's how the story is structured. It yeah. makes sense. I just wish there was a little bit more of him and whether I do wish and maybe, okay, if and when I read the book, maybe it is like this. I obviously don't know, so I'm speculating. But maybe he is actually in the book more before anybody fully realises that he is the ultimate vampire, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. But whether he is or he isn't, I'm talking about this movie and I would have just... Light to see him do a little bit more, perhaps even in the climax, because yes, okay, there's a little bit of a a battle, a little bit of a struggle, but he's still ultimately in the coffin.
1: Yeah. Isn't
0: he? He I want to see him move around. I want to well, see him maybe yeah, fly a, sort of... a bit.
1: Yes, and all we got really was the kitchen scene is the most kind of action, and I don't even think he ever really speaks or emotes or does anything aside. No, from he just certainly does like speak. just vampire, <laughs> like, yeah. like vampire attack. So, uh, I yes, I agree with you in terms of more, like if he was going to kind of come out the end as our big kind of like set piece kind of thing happening, you know, have him emote more, have him you know intimidate more, have him ha- have a little bit more to do in these kind of big climactic action scenes
0: yeah so that that i mean that's one that's one thing i still think the climax is very very effective um especially coming after what has been a really great build-up um because you do get a sense that they've been somewhat successful. They end up burning the Marston house down.
1: Yes, um, but then they also haven't found Susan who kind of was taken. Exactly.
0: As exactly. Well. Yeah. We never see Susan again after she's taken. We don't well. know what's, you know, in, in Salem's <laughs> lot, we don't know what's yeah. happened. Here. Yeah. Um, they end up burning the Marston house down, seemingly, of course, getting rid of Barlow, getting rid of Straker, who then shoots actually, doesn't he? Because you can just kill yeah. him by shooting him. He's not a vampire.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. But you know, you get a sense of finality about that, yet there is, again, just that small feeling of Is it ever really over?
1: Well, yes. Then we wonder like how we got to where they are in the beginning. And so then that's when we get there and and they are in Guatemala and, you know, they've realized that they've been found and they go back to where they're staying. And we hear this voice from the other room. I found you. And it's Susan and she's laying in the bed and she has her eyes closed and she looks beautiful and she's telling him all of these wonderful things like I found you and I didn't think this I This is two years and later. It was, yes, this was, it was so difficult to find you, but now we can be together and we can be young. And as soon as she says we can be young and be in love forever, you know. You know what she is and you know what he has to do. So then it's kind of just this heartbreaking thing. Like, you know, you let yourself kind of bully for a minute, even though you know that obviously he knows whatever found him is a vampire. You know that, like they set it up so that you know that. So when her first words are, I found you, you already know what she is, but you kind of want to maybe hope that you're wrong and that she got it out of there and she just found him as her. But she's laying there, she's not even looking at him. She has her eyes closed, like she's in this dream state almost, But you know her being there is just kind of pulling him into the space, and she's just saying all the things you know, I found you, and you know it, it took me so long to find you, and we can be together forever, and we can be young and beautiful and when she starts saying all of these things, and you know that yes, it is true, and you know the she eyes. Kind open. Of,
0: the yes, eyes
1: open, China. the fangs. You know, she tries to pull him into her and then he ends up having to to stab her. And it's steaky, so steaky. heartbreaking.
0: Yes. Get the steaks out. Eat the steaks. Yes. Cook the steaks on the barbecue. Cook them yes. rare. Because that's how <laughs> they should be. Rare, raw, and full of blood. Because that's what <laughs> happens with the vampires. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the wrong type of steak
1: yes well now i just you want the steak, so. steak thank
0: you so do i <laughs> so do i no i really enjoyed this
1: yeah I really like i i really was kind of going into it once i learned what it was i'm like oh this is gonna be so long but no i really enjoyed the build of it i loved that you know in terms of a vampire story it was less about Feed and kill, and more about this kind of cool takeover of a town, invasion invasion kind of plot point, which I loved, and like I feel like we see less of parasitic, you, you know. Yes, it's more which you know that kind of storytelling is reserved for alien type storylines. So the fact Mm. that this kind of plot point was used for alien for aliens for vampires, I think was a cool change as opposed to kind of I'm just trying to kill as many people as I can so I can feed and grow and have minions or whatever, you know. Um. So, so I liked kind of this this story aspect being applied to vampires. I thought that was a cool aspect. And lots of kind of creepy visuals, lots of creepy build. I, I agree with you. I wish we just would have gotten more of kind of our, you know, our big bad of this whole thing. I wish his reveal would have been less clunky, would have Would have felt like it made more sense, and, and we would have just had him doing a lot more in his moments.
0: Um, yeah. well. With that being said, a wonderfully atmospheric movie, a real under the skin chiller, and I think there's a great deal of positives to be had. Yeah. In 1979, Salem's Lot. I know that there is going to be a new movie. Right? There's going to be a new Salem's Lot.
1: I think so.
0: Very soon. I'm pretty sure it's out, like, very soon. Um, So I'm definitely interested in seeing that, to see what they do with that, knowing now this movie um, well enough to compare that situation. But I think there we go, Janine, for this first episode of Vampire Season. On It's a Wonderful Podcast. The first of Morgan hasn't seen four vampire movies. Of course, vampires, as we said, are taking over the main show as well yes.
1: every Friday
0: throughout October. What a great way to start this was with Stephen King and with Salem's lot. Janine, this show, it's a wonderful podcast. And Morgan hasn't seen, of course, which this is the actual show. It is organ hasn't seen this podcast feed, I should say. The It's a Wonderful Podcast feed. Find it on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We have the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel as well for you to subscribe and ding your notification bells on. There is a Patreon and donation link in the description of this episode if you would like to support us that way. And you can also find the show on Twitter. And it's a wonderful one. Find me on Twitter at the Purple Dawn with a three instead of the e in the because, Jenny.
1: Three is a magic number.
0: On Instagram and TikTok at the Purple Dawn, all your Stephen King loving stuff is where. <laughs>
1: You can find me at JanineDeBean underscore on Twitter, Janine Debean on Instagram, TikTok, and Threads. If you want to get any merch for any of our shows, just check the description for the link or search It's Wonderful Podcast on teespring.com. And if you want to purchase any of my art and print form, you can find that at my Big Cartel shop, genidesign.bigcartel.com. Well,
0: there we go. What do you think, Janine? Can you do a good James Mason for me?
1: I mean, yours is probably better, but uh, three...
0: I told you it was
1: going to be bad.